Hey there, I'm Amadal Yakbar, and this is See Something, Say Something, the BuzzFeed show where we drink jai, tell stories, and talk about being Muslim in America. Big stuff is happening on the show. We got a newsletter. The first one came out last week. And we also released a video on the See Something, Say Something Facebook page where we played Halal or Not with Basim Yusuf. If you see something, you better, you better say something. Nothing at all, nothing at all. So we wanted to do an episode about Arabic and its role in different Muslim American communities and how it affects different folks. We're going to talk about that. And then later we're going to be getting together with uh, BuzzFeed's Rida Salim about mispronouncing of names and mispronouncing of Arabic that we've encountered in our lives and on the internet that are just like totally ridiculous. Uh, But first, I'm joined by two folks who are going to help me explain the term Walla Bro. Camelia Omeima Youssef is a poet, grad student, and teacher based in Detroit who grew up in Dearborn. Welcome, Camelia. Hey, Ahmed. And Amy D. is a high school teacher working in and from Dearborn. Welcome to the show, Amy. Hey there. Thanks for having me. You guys are in De- Detroit or you're in Dearborn right now? Technically we're in Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, Technically we're in Detroit. Detroit. But you're both uh, Dearborn, like Dearborn background, basically. Yeah, we both went to Dearborn Public Schools, grew up in the community. Which has Mm -hmm. like a huge, you know, obviously Dearborn has one of the most hugest Arab populations outside of the Middle East. Yeah, it's the second largest Arab population in all of the United States. I think Orange County. Right, Orange County has the highest population. We have the highest concentration of Arabs outside the Middle East. So there's this thing I encountered when I went to college, uh, meeting a lot of folks from Dearborn, which is why I asked you guys on, um, which is that, all of them said this term, wallah, because wallah, you know, as I understood it, as explained to me, it's short for wallahi, which means I swear to God. Um, and then there was also this new thing attached to this word wallah, which was there was this figure that you guys, all the Dearborn folks that I met, kind of made fun of lovingly called the wallah bro. Um, and as I understood, a wallah bro is this guy who's Arab, um, very muscular, very tanned. Uh, he's probably got spiked, gelled hair, who every other word that he says is wallah and then bro. And he says wallah so much that it feels kind of insincere. That's how I perceived it, at least. Um, and because of, like, the way they look and sort of the similarity, I guess, to, like, um, like the Jersey Shore dudes, I guess, maybe, uh, it's kind of like a Muslim fuckboy. That was my perception and how it was explained to me. So I wanted to talk about what a wallah bro is and also about the word wallah and how it came to be, mean this, like, slangy, profane thing, became this slangy, profane thing from, like, sort of like a sacred context. So the first question is, are wallah bros just Muslim fuckboys? Am I wrong? I, I can't. So I'm not speaking on behalf of all Walla Bros. <laughs> of course, um, not all Walla Bros, right. just to be clear. Yeah. They come in kind of different uh, shapes. They, yeah, Walla Bros yeah. come in all different shapes, sizes, genders. On like, the spectrum, like level of Walla Broness. <laughs> yeah, there's on a the spectrum of Walla Broness. Like, and, if that makes sense. I don't know. And I would say there are different like iterations of Walla Bros over time. Like when, when we were kids, like oh, yeah. my cousin who had immigrated from Lebanon in the 90s and like lived in our basement and like dated white girls and like played pool in our basement and drove like a 
a red drop, a, a blue drop top Mustang and played his music really fucking loud. That's a Walla bro. Like he was like, I would say one of the first iterations of Walla bros and all his friends were like super hot, super buff. And I think that it laid the like kind of basis for the Walla bros after like that that time. What's interesting to me, like I'm a non-Arab speaker, but for me, like hearing Wallahi growing up, and this is why the term Walla bro is so interesting to me. It had like Wallahi has this specific meaning of like it's I sw- like I swear by God and like yep. we would say do things like I remember being in, in Sunday school and something like vanishes maybe and somebody's like uh, did you take it say Wallahi and they're like if you don't if you're lying when you say Wallahi you're lying to God and that's like a sacred mm-hmm. offense you know like it's a huge yeah, deal yeah. it would be such a big deal for us to u- to use Wallahi as like as Pakistanis yeah, that's not how it is <laughs> and that's what's so, so interesting mean- how did it become Wallah you know what I mean like it's sort of like the mm-hmm. transition to you know maybe it's a dialect thing and it's also like it is a dialect thing how did does it go from like for some of us like it's like sort of this really intense thing about truthfulness and for other people it's like That's you say it every day wait so you mean you mean that wallah for you or wallahi was more sacred absolutely Can we say that absolutely like pakistani kids when we would say it to each other we would always it was a big deal we'd be like you can't lie when you say, tell somebody to say wallahi you cannot lie like that's a huge sin and so we took it really seriously so like when i came to u of m and like you know met a lot more arab students from dearborn this like wallah thing was like so new to me i was like whoa this is totally yeah because it is a cultural thing i think most definitely totally so it has something to do with culture yeah but i can it, still it, ask you something and be like you'll tell me something and i'm in disbelief about it and then i'll be like say wallah you'll be like wahiyat allah Man. Yeah, so you add a, it's not like just Wallah, you say Wahyat Allah or like Wallahi, you know, like it's different. Is there a difference? Yeah, I do say like on the Quran, like it's just more in, and in more intense way like, <laughs> of like truly saying that like, it, I'm really this is true. Lying. So, can I ask a question? Is, the, <laughs> yes. is there a difference between Wallah and Wallahi or is it dialectical? Yes. Can I say it from a religious perspective? Can yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what, I, that's what I'm sort so of trying to figure up, out. Yeah, so I mean, this is what I was taught growing up is that they say the true way to swear by God is to say Wallahi yeah. with like that he at the right. end. So it only counts when you say Wallahi, right. not when you say Wallah. <laughs> I remember having this conversation with like my peers at Arabic school, you know, we found a loophole <laughs> to like lying while saying, well, I'm serious. <laughs> I also think the addition of bro is just like the greatest. It's like it's sort of like also capturing like the way men talk to each other, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like the walla and the bro, right? Girls can be walla bros too. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Cam, are you a little bit of a walla bro? I, you know what? Like I think being in non mostly Arab spaces. Uh, you know, like there's a ton of code switching that happens. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Like there's totally a Walla bro in me, yeah. you know, like she comes out all the time. <laughs> um, and I think, okay. yeah, I had somebody tell me like, oh, I can't believe you'd ever move back to Dearborn. I'm like, dude, I would like Dearborn is one of the most magical places in America. And the fact that we can exist in multiple places at once while being in Dearborn is fucking great. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's no shame about being in that space or being or embodying those qualities. <clears throat> yeah, Walla bros I, have feelings too. They do. Yeah. Well, Walla, I think Walla bros, like, there's a thing about the Walla bro that for me is entirely embedded in class. Uh huh. And like people who want to talk shit about the Walla Bros or like my brothers will be stigmatized, you know, because they might 
look a certain way or act a certain way, right. and then they have to go out of their way to prove like that they're educated, oh, like or I'm well smart, spoken. Mm-hmm. yeah, or I'm well spoken, or I'm this. So like I'm I'm very careful about the writing off of the Wallabro because I feel like we haven't even fully fleshed out the conversation about like what it means why the Wallabro exists, mm-hmm. like wh- how he emerged out of like a first generation, how he emerged out of a particular working class. And why is it that, that those same kids that live in the same area now, years later, look at it sometimes like it's a negative thing? They do look at it they like don't want to be thing. associated with that, like you said, that specific class, perhaps, that working. I'm really glad you're doing this, this podcast, <laughs> like asking about this question, seriously, because I think it's like... Because, like, I've also heard Wallabro used in Afghani circles or, like, yeah. Pakistani circles. Oh, if you go on YouTube, it's used on, like, all sorts of circles, like, all kinds of Muslim circles around the country. And it's, like, fa- amazing. Like, what are all these Wallabros doing? You know, we know a particular kind of Wallabro that, like, we grew up with mm-hmm. and that we had crushes on and oh, that we yeah. fell in love <laughs> with and that broke our hearts. They were ideal. And Absolutely. whose hearts we broke, you know, and it's just, like... Like, you know, those are the hot guys at the gas stations. Like, mad love to the hot guys at the gas stations. Why I I wanted to start with the Walla Bro is because it seems like that, for me, it was this perfect intersectional moment of like, oh, My relationship to Arabic is not the same as everybody's relationship to Arabic, but all of us as Muslims in America have some sort of relationship to this language. Um, And uh, maybe, and sometimes, of course, there are many people who speak Arabic who are not uh, Muslim, which uh, you guys experienced probably a lot more than I did growing up where I grew up. So (laughs) I sort of want to talk about like the role of the language itself. Like for me, I probably am more fluent, have been more fluent in reading Arabic than I am in my own parents' language, which is Urdu, because like we had like a guy come to our house and teach us how to read Arabic, who I'm like still close with to this day, for the Quran. Um, I didn't understand anything I was reading, but I had like a really good teacher who taught me well, and I feel really confident in reading Arabic. Um, and like, you know, knowing all the nuances of like the pronunciation of the letters and everything, um, which is obviously like for me, it's going to be very South Asian. But it was like, you know, it was a language of basically religion for me. Um, and it had this like really strong power, I guess, like it had this sort of value, like my mom always wanted me to learn it. Like, they wanted me to learn Urdu, but they were like, it would be really amazing if you, like, went to Al-Azhar and learned Arabic. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So it, no, totally get it. And I want to hear about it from you guys. Like, what was it like for you guys? What's your relationship to the language um, growing up? Well, I want to say my relationship, what you described pretty much sounds like my relationship with Arabic growing up. It was definitely, like, in terms of religion. We learned Arabic so that we can learn how to pray. Mm-hmm. So my daughter now... It's kind of going through the same thing. She goes to a private school where they teach them Arabic, like in their school day. And she prays. And I ask her, like, do you understand what this word means? Or do you understand? She doesn't understand what anything means. You know, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. because our primary language at home is English. Right. And so for her and for me, um, I mean, learning Arabic strictly was just for religious purposes. Y- your parents didn't speak you know? Arabic at all at home? They only they only spoke Arabic. Okay. But like so yeah so like my conversation with my parents obviously so like Camelia said we, that's code switching too, 
um, within the language, I feel. Well, it's you know? moving between colloquial, modern standard on the news, and then Quranic Arabic. There you go. Those are all different kinds of Arabic that I was exposed to. Which were things I didn't know, by the way. I thought the Quran was like what everyone spoke. So when I was very young, um, I would go, I went to Arabic school throughout my whole life. Um, Arabic school? But, like meaning a language school or a cultural school or both? It was oh, okay. only modern standard Arabic, learning the letters. Wow. That is very interesting. And like, because we spoke colloquial Arabic at home. Um, and then my next experience with Arabic school was at the mosque. Um, and Which so, sounds like where I was. Yeah. yeah. And, and like my family like was not, is not really practicing, mm-hmm. even though my like grandparents are practicing and my, my uncles and aunts are practicing on like one side of my family. Um, so we still belonged to that community. I mean, my dad, who's not a practicing Muslim, was on the board for the Islamic Society. <laughs> like, so as folks who like were Muslim by identity, were Muslim by holiday, were Muslim by like in a lot of ways. And like my parents never taught me how to pray. Um, I, when I learned how to pray, it was through my cousin. Hmm. I would be scared in the middle of the night. And she's like, okay, just like say this one ayah. And she like, she taught me, Kul huwa Allahu ahad, Allahu samad, lam yalid, wa lam yurad, wa lam yakun lahu kufuan al ahad. Right? That's, that was, I memorized the hell out of that because anytime I was scared, I would, I would use it. Yeah, right? It's a, a good it's one. A good I still one. do that <laughs> when I'm scared. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. Before I sleep, whether I'm scared or not, just yeah. to get good dreams, possibly. But that, <laughs> that was like Arabic. For me, access to Arabic was more about culture, was more about uh, talking with my family and communicating with my grandparents, hmm. was about like talking to my aunts and like knowing how to talk on the phone with my grandmother. And uh, when she, because when she was alive, she was living in Lebanon and Egypt. And so like we would, we would call her. And it was also about like being a part of social functions. Like, what do you say when there's a wedding? Okay, this is exactly what you say when there's a wedding. And this is how you respond. This is what you say at a funeral. Like there's a lot of like formalisms that we use in Arabic that are a part of participation. Mm-hmm. And for me, I worked really hard in order to learn Arabic because like I would read Arabic poetry and be like, I know I'm missing something here. Mm. I ended up double major, I majored in Arabic and in Arabic literature. And then I went and lived in Egypt for a year and like got really, really fluent in like both my dialect, Lebanese dialect, and like Egyptian colloquial dialect. Wow. Um, I studied some modern standard. I studied some Egyptian. I studied some Quranic. But it never really like clicked with me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I can read it just fine, but I, I don't understand it. But anyhow, like I want to hear about like how do you feel the differences are when you, when you learn that, learn them in those different contexts? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Like, so thinking about it, learning it in the home, it's all by way of listening. Mm. Sometimes, like, you really just have to keep a tuned ear. Like, you'll have the doubled letters with the shadde. That just means you just have to listen a little bit harder when your grandmother speaks to know what she's saying. Because nobody's writing that down for you. Nobody's transliterating. At the same time, there's text Arabic that's also involved with colloquial Arabic, right? Like, if I want to say love, which is hub, right? I'm going to use a seven for a ha, uh-huh. an, an o, and oh. then a b, you know, and that says hub. And like, that's how I talk to my mom. My mom texts me. She's like, hi, hubby, seven O-B-B-I. So that's another form of Arabic that's totally colloquial. The texting Arabic, texting colloquial yeah. Arabic. Yeah. I- yeah. They, they call it lughat al-nat. 
Like net? Mm-hmm. Like the net? Yeah. Like language like of the net? Internet language. Oh my yeah. God, I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, language of the net. Isn't That's that cool? I'm actually very fluent in that just because you mentioned <laughs> that. I swear to God, she just mentioned it. And I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. My students do this. Yeah. As my, my students that come, especially the refugees that have come recently, they, this is how they will actually write this down, like on an assignment. Can we hear from like what Amy's students are writing? That's what I really want to know. I want to know Go what ahead. the students oh, yeah, are dude. using, how they're using the Lughat al yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. They do. They use Lughat al-Nat, absolutely. I'm telling you, especially like, so I also teach um, students that are uh, refugees or like immigrant students or uh, English language learners. And so we start with the basics, you know, we're starting with letters and such. So like, like they'll, they'll say like the letter, like if I say A, they'll say it like in Arabic. Like, so like, what is this letter? They'll say like, oh, like, ah. Or like they'll tell me a sound, you uh-huh. know, like because they don't know like what the name of the letter is, right. mm-hmm. but they know what like what sound it makes because they're used to communicating like back and forth using their phones or whatever. Mm. Oh, because the A to them makes the A uh sound, sound in Arabic. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're like literally starting with the letters. Now I have like my students that are native speakers. Like I said, they'll use text language as well. They use their slang. You know, it's the same concept. It really is the same concept. It's just like where they're coming from. So when you're saying that they use the sound, like they're transliterating their text completely from Arabic into English letters? What they think is English letters. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What they think is English. Mm-hmm. What they think they're speaking English. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because like like literally they don't. I'm like, this isn't English though. Like, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's I mean, their like, own kind of English. It is. It is. Know? It is. I know what's so hard for them is they're expected to meet certain standards by a certain amount of time, which is unrealistic and unfair. You know, and so like we feel the pressure that we are kind of taking away some of their heritage language and like their experiences mm. um, so that we can fit them into this like proficiency uh, title, like their English proficient, English language proficient. And so we're taking away a lot of that from them. So I'm learning how to try and like preserve and show them the value of like their native language that you don't have to lose that to learn formal English like they want you to. So this is a like a little bit of a sidebar but I'm just like hearing you talk about like that relationship between English and Arabic also makes me think about like the power Arabic has in like a non-Arabic speaking countries. Like the example mm-hmm. that I was I told Camelia like a couple days ago about is there's this um you know, to say goodbye in Urdu, you say Khuda Hafiz, which means, you know, like basically go with God. And Khuda means God. It's the Persian word for God. Um, mm-hmm. And then my parents left in the 70s and the 80s, like there was, you know, the a General Ziel Huck, you know, took over and there was a lot more institution of like Islamic norms and a lot of it meant Arabic norms. And now uh-huh. people say Allah Hafiz. And like if you oh, sit, wow. if you say Khuda Hafiz to them, people say like there's this sort of like joke we in my family always be like, Khuda is not our God, Allah is our God. <laughs> you know, like that's, <laughs> that's the joke we always make. That like that's what people say. But the reality is, Allah means God, Khuda yeah. means God. You know, it's not so like it's the same thing. It's yeah. the same exact thing. You know, the way Christian Arabs also say Allah. Um, you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's like yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. And like you were saying earlier, you had that moment in Quran class. Um, for me, like the way I was taught religion, uh, taught Arabic in the religious setting, it was very much um, a heavy reliance on like pathos, uh-huh. uh, the appeal to emotion, right. always. Um, for me personally, I'm just speaking about my personal experience. As so, we like, only do um, on the show, it's like it's all personal experience. Yeah, yeah and so like uh, in addition to like Quran classes, um, we attended. I don't know if you know what like a Majlis Aza is. No, I don't know what that is. Um, it's like a it's a Shia thing. Okay. 
Um, and so, like, what it is is they tell the story of, like, the death of a saint. Okay, okay. Okay? But it's extremely descriptive. It's uh, it's uh, heavily reliant on, like, um, you know, like, you feel an emotional connection to the situation. Um but like, I mean, in the end, there's stories that are written, like there is truth to them. These people lived and these people, you know, you know, died and stuff. But at the same time, like they use the Arabic language and it, I'm going to say it's beauty because it is a very beautiful language. They use it to evoke that emotion and it's and it's effective. Mm-hmm. I would consider myself a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. And I was really affected by that version of Arabic as opposed to like what I spoke at home. Sure. Well, that you also know. exists in Arabic poetry. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So what you were saying about Arabic poetry, you felt like you're missing something. And, you and know? I, I felt like I was missing something, but I also felt like, you know, I've made my way through a Mahmoud Darwish poem and like reading it and listening to the sound and bursting into tears yeah, same, midway the through concept, at the yeah. moment when, they, when you're supposed to mm. or at the moment when like, you know, there's the, the, catharsis, the cathartic moment in the poem. And, the, and so like that, that's in a lot of ways like, yeah, Arabic... Um, I don't know if in America Arabic is taught with the sort of like son the appeal to sound that it actually does have. You know, a lot of the curriculum, like when I studied Arabic at the University of Michigan, like my program was funded by the Department of Defense. You know, yeah, like yeah. the the scholarship that I got to Egypt was funded by the Department of Defense. Mm. It's a my family couldn't afford to send me to the Arab world to learn Arabic. Like that was the only way that I knew how to go. I didn't participate in any of like those kinds of related activities. But those are the people that I was studying with. They're studying it for the colloquial aspects of it, not for the like the capacities for elation that Arabic does mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. That's that you might playing. access there through poetry or through Quran. Well, yeah, if you take Arabic at a at a college class, it's a like mixture between like kids like me who are not uh-huh. non Arab speakers yes. whose parents have always told them that they should learn Arabic mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you'll understand the Quran better, which is true. It did really help me understand the Quran better and it did make me feel a lot more connected to it. Um, and then there's all these like people who are like they're trying to be in the CIA. And then there's some people who it's mm-hmm. like part of their ROTC stuff. You know, it's like... And then the heritage speakers. And then there's heritage speakers, of course. Yeah. The focus on colloquial Arabic. Um, I mean, it's a thing, but it's actually a disservice to the students like you or the students like me who are entering the class. I'm there because I want to read Arabic poetry. I'm not there because... I want to learn how to speak with my grandmother. I already know how to do that. Right. You're the, you might be there because you want to f- experience the full capacity of the Quran and all of its sound mm-hmm. and rhythm and meter. And so like there is a way, it was in my third year of Arabic study. There's a professor at Michigan named Wahid Sami. He passed away. He had a heart attack a few years after I graduated. But I went to him. I was like, dude, I've been in this for like four semesters. Like, what's going on? Why am I not getting it? And he sat me down. He was like, listen, Arabic can be brought down to this. There are 10 verb forms. And then there are three letter or four letter roots that can be fit into any of these forms. Once you get the forms and once you get those roots, you can make meaning out of anything in Arabic. Oh, wow. And so once that was like the key that unlocked Arabic for me, that made my experience so much more enriching and also like, I think, poetic. Because then I was able to like take my own three letter roots that let's say I found in English and then impose them upon like an Arabic uh, like one of the one of the verb forms and be able to make meaning out of it. I'm just going to say something related to this. I, so I teach adult women 
English. And most all my students are Yemeni or Jordan or Iraqi. Um, and they're older women who have immigrated here mostly recently. And some of my students, they create their own English words hmm. um, at, using the verb form. So wow. like one of them was That's like, so interesting. where she was like, help. The word is help. She wanted to tell me, you helped me a lot. So what does she say? She's like, Halabtina. Oh. That's so cute. <laughs> that, what's was, funny is that I would totally understand yeah. it. Exactly. I would totally that understand actually what makes she's sense saying. to me too. It makes perfect sense, yeah. doesn't See? it? <laughs> and like that's that's the real like, you know, I think that whatever, be it like war on terror, lessons on lessons of Arabic are a thing. But like we, you know, we would be studying this regardless. And I think it it gives Arabic this kind of like mystification and power that like i don't know i think that like arabic also has a lot of power and like mm -hmm. given the way that like your experience was with, with it like and the way we pronounce names like if there's somebody who's like pakistani but his name is ali or like somebody who's iranian his name is ali like you have me going around be like hey ali what's up yeah, yeah. you know and nice. i'm like i don't know if he wants to be called ali or yeah. i don't know if you want to be called that's ahmed true. like maybe you're ahmed like your mom and your dad called you you know yeah. guys we're we're out of time but before before we go i want to ask your own personal favorite like arab or dearborn slang besides walla bro like anything else that i should know I like the word cuz they use it. <laughs> but I still use it. Yeah, oh, I like, what so up cuz? I'm not what cool enough cause? to pull up cuz. Really? Yeah. It's so natural for me. I think I don't think it's it. yeah, you just have to like not be aware that you're saying All right, it. Cause. Just like, you know, not be aware that you're saying it. <laughs> See, you did a good job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I I can't I don't know if I have a favorite. Like yeah. I can't choose, you know? They're hmm. That's the poet thing. I can't choose. I can't choose. There's too right many now. good ones. Yeah, I think I think my most frequently used one in in like that moves over from Arabic to English is Habibi. Like I call my mom Habibti or Habibi or Habibti. Like I you even like in text like Habibi becomes HBB and like oh. is it really absolutely is that what that means Hell yeah, I didn't that's even what it means. Know. It's so useful. HBB, man. that's good. But you can also use Habibi if you're like being sarcastic and mad, right? Like, Absolutely. Like, like Habibi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, look Habibi, like, you know. Yeah. It's so, like, malleable. I mean, it's really good. The really useful one for me that I don't think I had before is the classic, which is Yalla. 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 Oh, everybody oh, uses yeah, Yalla. Like, it's so much use now that we don't even yeah. like it. It's basically yeah, English. It's ba it is. Um, hey, guys, thanks for being on the show and talking about Arabic and Wola Bros. I feel like I learned a lot. Um, Camelia, where can people find you on the internet? Um, probably Instagram would be the best. I post pictures and bitch about stuff and <laughs> put things that I think are pretty. So it's Camelia.omaima. Cool. That's my Instagram at. We'll put that in the description. Also, you're a poet. Where can people read your poetry? Don't you want people to read your poetry? Okay, first of all, if people want to read my poetry, they should totally subscribe to Mizna. It's an Arab-American journal, um, and you just get to read literature from, like, the dopest Arab-American poets um, or people writing on similar topics. Yeah, there's just other stuff. Just follow me on Instagram, and I'll tell you. <laughs> and Amy, where can people find you on the Internet? 
Oh, I'm not on the internet. <laughs> Why are you not on the internet? I don't, I don't have any social media. I took a break a couple months ago. I mean, I was I was a teacher for a bit, and I was terrified for my students finding me. So I oh no, they found me. Oh, they found me. And that's when you they, do- they all found me. Is that when you took a break? <laughs> oh, that's when I decided to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> I figured out just just see him seeing them at school. I think was good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having us. It Thank was, you for it was having- our pleasure. So before we go, there is one other thing that I have been working on and wanted to share with you guys, which is uh, I've been like really into this thing that's happening on Twitter where people are aggressively mispronouncing Arabic words. It's very strange and hilarious. And like I see it retweeted over and over again and like new variations are coming out every day. Um, It's not new, but it's just like it's sort of like the eternal thing. As a young Muslim kid in America, your name is going to get butchered or Asalaamu Alaikum is going to get butchered or whatever thing that you're saying to your parents, people are going to listen in and be like, what? What are you saying exactly? How do you say your name? Um, so to talk about that and her name, I invited HR journalist Rida Salim to the show. Um, welcome to the show, Rida. Hi, um, guys. And I thought you would be a really good fit for this because we already talked about this once, but can you tell people who didn't hear your last episode about your name, like the story behind your name? Sure. So the blame completely goes on my parents till this day. I'm going to stand by that. Um, But essentially what my issue is with my name is that it's spelled R-E-E-D-A. So anyone who's reading it will, you know, naturally think it's Rita. Um, But in actuality, my name is actually pronounced Rida. Would you say anyone who's Rida-ing it? Um, Haven't heard that one before. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I did it. I'm one of those terrible people. No, uh, so many people, like, I remember, like, growing up, um, people used to make fun of me by saying, like, oh, haha, I just read, read a book or read a book or did you read a book today? Uh-huh. So, you know, heard you, them all, heard them all. And you, did you try to correct them at all? No. You know, and you know what it yeah. is? It's like, again, like, partially my parents, like, they, even when they were dropping me off to school, it would all just be Rita. It's just been Rita, you uh-huh. know? So I think it was, like, college when I started actually going out of my way to correct people. So what are some of the other things people have tried to call you? Because I, or has it always been Rita? Like, I think more like 80% of the time it's always Rita. But then like uh-huh. if I meet like someone who's like South Asian or like Muslim or like, you know, whatever, uh, they will try. But uh-huh. it's never, they never get it right. It's never, yeah. they never think it's Rida. Yeah. Um, they'll say like Rida, Rida, stuff yeah. like that. So now that you've come out as Rida on the show, <laughs> now that the secret's out, have there been any people trying to fix uh, the way they say your name? Oh, my entire team, my entire people team up here at BuzzFeed, everyone has been going out of their way and doing a really good job at calling me Rida. I'm one of those people too who yeah. fixed it. I used to yeah. call you Rida too. I, I was like, maybe it's Rida, but I'm just gonna go with Rida. Yeah, you know what it is? It's because I mean, I don't, I can't blame anyone because of the way that it's spelled. It's very misleading. Yeah. So, um, I um. I've talked in the past on the show about how people want, how I get called Ahmed, I get called Ahmed, I get called, you know, Pakistani people call me Ahmed. And then, of course, there's like people listening to that, like people who hear Ahmed try to say Ahmed all the time. (laughs) People who hear Ahmed sometimes call me Emmet or I've heard Almond. Really? <laughs> like kids, uh, kids at school used to try to call. It was like, is it almond? I'm like, no. Oh my they, like they were kind of being serious. Omelet. Omelet. I know, so bad. 
Um, and then the weirdest one that really follows me around, and I'm I don't know where this come came from, is Armand. Really? <laughs> where do people get these people, things from? I would get on Starbucks coffee kids. I've had barbers be like Armand. I'm like, uh, Ar- no, there's no R in it. You can't trust Starbucks with stuff like this. They will just butcher your name. I feel like they do it for fun. They do do it for fun. But it preceded Starbucks. Yeah. Armand has followed me my whole life. Yeah? Wow. Um, it's just a, just a, I don't know. It's a, it's also funny because just I guess everyone says my name differently. Yeah. Um, so as an as a HR person, what do you do if you somebody mispronounces your name? Like what's a good way to like correct them without causing too much conflict? You know, yeah, or I, like or to like not get yourself in trouble because sometimes you get your name mispronounced by like your boss. Right, but I don't think anyone would ever take offense to that. You uh-huh. know what I'm saying? So I think I think if you were to correct somebody in the pronunciation of your name, they would feel more embarrassed or, you know, like apologetic for it than you should feel or would or, you know, should feel Mm -hmm. for correcting them. So if someone like mispronounces my name and again, like it happens pretty much every almost every day of my life Mm -hmm. and they'll be like, hey, Rita, I'm like, actually, it's, you know, actually, it's Rita. And then I'll just like continue, like say it very casually. And Mm -hmm. I don't I don't really get offended. And I make sure like my tone doesn't, you know, convey any kind of like hey, like, I didn't like that you just did that. So mm-hmm. I take it very lightly and I try to convey that and when I correct people. So yeah. that usually goes over pretty well. Yeah. I have this thing where people, like, really want to say it right. And yeah. there's many different ways of saying it. They and, can't get it. Uh, I tell them it's okay, but they don't listen to me. Yeah. And it's kind of a problem because I'm like, I'm actually okay with Ahmed or Ahmed yeah. or Ahmed. And people don't seem to understand that. Yeah. You know what it is, like, with my name? So the DH sound is not in the American alphabet. Yeah. So the the like rid the like yeah, yeah. that that tends to really like throw people off because it just doesn't exist in the American alphabet. Right. Right. So yeah, I mean people probably want to say rid ha I guess. Yeah. If you, they spelled it if I, you spell it the other way. I always like try to tell people I'm just like it's like the word rhythm without the M. So replace that M with an A. So it's like rid the. Like, right? Yeah. 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 That, that it works. That right. Work. Yeah. That would work. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, the other thing I wanted to share with you, which I didn't share with you beforehand. You don't actually really know what I'm about to do. <laughs> oh, God. But basically, I've been collecting for the past like week in preparation for this episode that's about you know, Arabic and language is, um, do you know about the marshmallow thing on Twitter? No. It's like on Muslim Twitter? No. <laughs> no, you don't know about this. What is marshmallow? Is it a halal marshmallow? Uh, no, no. It's not what you think it is at all. It's like from... Uh, Two, about two years ago, there's this guy who posted a picture of this hijabi woman in like a leather jacket. She looks really cool. She's like a fashion blogger. Yeah. And he wrote, God bless her, marshmallow, and then three heart emojis. Okay, I understand what's happening here. <laughs> oh, no. And then he responded. He responded to his own tweet and he said, somebody just DM'd me saying it's mashallah <laughs> and not marshmallow. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> He has to be joking. No, he wasn't oh because I looked God. at his page because I went back and he was like, he like literally, and I feel so bad because I'm about to publish this thing yeah. where I put it at the top again. He, he th- did a thing like, I looked at the responses to the tweets and he's like, it's been a year and a half and people have finally stopped <laughs> clowning me for this. People are like, take it down. He's like, no, I made the mistake. He really he owned it. He owned least. it, which yeah. I think is kind of great. Yeah, it is. Um, it's sort of like, have you ever seen the ones that are like... Um, the Bon Appetit memes, no, where it's like they'll they'll be like like the worst food in the world. Like it'll be like I made some cornbread. It's a picture of like a white bread with like uh, 
like frozen like creamed corn on top. It's yeah. really disgusting. <laughs> and they'll say, made some cornbread, bone apple tea. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. You yeah, yeah, right? know what you're talking about. So it's like sort of like the Arabic and Muslim version of it. Yeah. So I'm going to give you some of, some of these mispronunciations, and we're going to just try to figure out what they mean and also what the mispronunciation could mean. Oh, this is going to be good. Okay. okay. So this is the other classic one. Why do Muslims say a staff gorilla when oh. they do something bad? <laughs> a staff gorilla. A staff gorilla. That's actually, you know, if you say that really fast, I can understand why someone might think that's what we're saying. Yeah. Let's try a staff gorilla. A staff gorilla. Staff gorilla. A stuck gorilla. That's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty close. So a staff gorilla is a stuck gorilla, which is like... Um, God forbid, basically, like something terrible has happened. Yeah, yeah. I can I can understand why people might confuse that one. I imagine a staff gorilla to be like um, the gorilla that you have on your team who's on staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who like does the gorilla-related work around At BuzzFeed, I could see it being like a big like stuffed gorilla that's just like sitting in a corner and someone like makes it a part of their team. We should get a, a staff gorilla yeah. here at, at See Something, Say Something. <laughs> okay. She could just keep it in that corner right there. Guest appearance. All right, here's the next one. And these are all going to be in a list, a, a thing that I post this week. Okay. Uh, why do Muslims always shake hands and say, Salman, I like him oh my when God. they meet in the street? Who is Salman? Why do they all like him? <laughs> hey, at least they got like a name in there, right? Salman is an actual name. It is. Um, I actually think most of the people who do this after the first one are actually Muslim, making, yeah. fun, making fun of non-Muslims right. mispronouncing things. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, Why you know? does everyone like him? That's actually really funny. I, I like Salman. Yeah. Salman, I like him. Well, I, well, I, don't, how, like, I don't even know. Well, how I like him, Salman. We well, like Salman. We also like yeah. Sal- Salman. Yeah, that would be the response. Um, here's one for me, which is true. This actually happened. Okay. Um, this is like not even a joke. Um, uh, hold, hold on, I gotta find my tweet. Uh, this is my tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took it from a friend. This is like a real story. Like, somebody accused me of stealing this joke from somebody, and I swear to God, a friend of mine told me this. Yeah. Um, when I'm sad, I remember my Muslim friend's ex boyfriend asking why she always says enchilada on the phone with her parents. <laughs> It was inshallah. I will have an enchilada for work, inshallah, at lunch. Enchilada. And for enchilada. after, after some, they told me that, I was like, everything was enchilada, enchilada. Yeah. And it was about when they signed up, like, got off the phone, like, we'll talk soon, inshallah. Yeah, yeah. And the boyfriend was like, why are you saying enchilada? <laughs> I just say enchilada now. I don't even say enchilada. That's what I'm saying. Like, next time we go to, like, a family party or you go to a family party, you should just see, use these, like, words and see if anyone catches on. Somebody should definitely just go to a party and just really try it enchilada. the whole time. If you say, a like, under your, under your breath a little bit, like... Yeah, enchilada somebody will go do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> enchilada. You might get away with it. Uh, why do Muslims say martial arts all the time? <laughs> Where do people get this from? I don't know. It just like it just it's the inner genius of the internet. <laughs> martial arts. Martial arts. Martial arts. Which one's better, martial arts or marshmallow? Uh 
Marshmallow is like more innocent and pure. Yeah. Like it was clearly a mistake. Whereas martial arts, like the person thought about it. Like yeah. it sounds a little. Yeah. Bit what like... can I do to make this really funny right now? Yeah. Let's yeah. call it martial arts. That's that's what they did. Also, the thing about the marshmallow guy that I like is yeah. that like he wasn't. It's clear that he like knows Muslims in real life. Yeah. And was like hearing them say mashallah, mashallah about good things that happened in their life. Yeah. And he was just like trying to like get in. Like he was like you know. It's kind of endearing that he didn't even question why. You know why it's marshmallow, and he wanted to get in. He yeah, was like, you know marshmallow. Wanted marshmallow. to get in. Wanted to get into the mashallah party. Um, and I think I have one more. Hold on, let me find the last one. Why do Muslims say Jazla care? <laughs> they help each other. What was it? Jazla care. Jazla care. Honestly, that's if I if that's I probably like the most. That's pretty good. You gotta say like right. It's I feel like close. that's that's like when when you have like the transliteration out on English of Jazakallah Khair which is like thank you Yeah, Uh, that's how somebody would say it if they don't speak Arabic yeah Jazakallah Khair Jazakallah you know it's because these letters are not like is not like in the alphabet there's a lot of letters yeah it's true let's be real um all right. Well, this is like my favorite meme ever. Uh, and you can see that I'm going to do a post, which is going to be called People Who Definitely Don't Speak Arabic yeah. <laughs> on BuzzFeed. It's a great title. Good, good title, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so we're going to share that on the See Something, Say Something page. Um, and, uh, you know, you can just please, please let this meme flourish because it's my favorite. Yeah. It's my favorite meme. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Ruth, no, Ruth. thank you for having me. Uh, Marshmallow. An enchilada, you yeah. will be on the show, and jazz look care. Enchilada. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I like it. <laughs> this episode is produced by Eleanor Kagan, Megan Dietrich, and Meg Kramer. Additional production support from Tabir Akhtar, Julia Frolin, and Nina Patak. Our music is by the Caminas. Find them at caminas.bandcamp.com. You can find me on Twitter at RadBrownDads, and I have a Tumblr also called RadBrownDads. Find my writing at BuzzFeed.com, the website. If you want to sign up for our super cool newsletter where you'll get fun tweets, memes, you can do that at BuzzFeed.com slash see something, say something slash newsletter. Email us at say something at BuzzFeed.com. Follow us on Twitter at see something or on Facebook at see something, say something where you can find our videos. And if you like the show, please rate it on iTunes. I'm Amadali Upper. Thanks for listening. <clears throat> Jez Care. Salman, I like him. A staff gorilla. <laughs> <laughs>